Hi, and welcome to the Parenting in the Middle podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Goodman. I'm a certified life coach and a mom to four teenagers. Do you ever wonder if you're doing this whole mom thing right? Are you pushing too hard or not enough? What does it look like to love your teens, yet keep firm boundaries? Would you love to get your kids to listen without yelling and feeling frustrated first? Here in this podcast, you will find coaching and communication strategies to help you tackle all of your hardest parenting struggles. These strategies will help you parent with more confidence, peace, and influence. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy you're here and excited to share this episode with you. I had Monica Packer from the About Progress podcast join me on this episode to talk about how life is about progress, not perfection. Monica was so generous to share her story of how she recovered from being a burned out perfectionist. We talk all about high expectations that our teens deal with today, how to help them break through their all or nothing mentality, and how to help them discover who they are. And I know as a parent of teens, and I talk to a lot of parents of teens, the parenting strategies that I teach can help you respond and not react, and they are so helpful for those times. But it's also so helpful to notice those teens that are doing everything right, the ones that are excelling that are doing really well in their classes, getting good grades, being really obedient. And it can be easy to not spend a lot of time worrying about this particular teen because they're doing everything right. But sometimes the pressure that they feel to be perfect can keep them from sharing their struggles with you. And this is what I'm so grateful for Monica for sharing today with us. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is. Hello, Monica. I am so happy to have you on my podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on. So I know you have your own podcast called About Progress, and I love it because I am very much in the self-help, self-development world, and I feel like a lot of us can get into that perfectionistic mindset over there. And so tell me where you developed this passion for helping women especially get out of this perfectionistic mindset. You know, that's why I'm excited to be on your show because it actually goes back to my middle (laughs) of being a teenager and a young teenager at that. I really feel like I could go back to seventh grade and just pinpoint this shift in myself when I thought in order to be a good person, this, these are the extremes I needed to meet. And in order to meet those extremes, this is the all or nothing model I had to follow, which meant all was the only choice or I was constantly um, shaming and blaming myself for not being able to always hit the all. Um, So that really did start me on a trajectory of over um, probably actually around a decade of just extreme shame, blame cycles of working towards bettering myself, being high achieving, being a good um, member of my faith, you know, just a good anything X, Y, Z, and it was all with good intentions. Like I, I wasn't, uh, intending to, um, to have some big consequences later on. Cause I didn't realize that that was really damaging the way I was, I was just trying to do, be, be a good person and do things the quote unquote right way. But I definitely crashed and burned as a young adult in ways that were really scary and really lonely because even within that crash and burn, I was too ashamed to tell people what was going yeah. on with me. Cause it went against this, this, this image I had created of myself, this pedestal 
I was on um, with with all parts of my life. So, uh, you know, another almost 10 years went by after that growth. And, and that and the, during those 10 years, I went the opposite end of the pendulum. Like I would still be responsible for the things and people I need to be responsible for. Um, but I realized I was still feeling the same way as I had been as a, like a, a majorly burnout because of perfectionism. And it wasn't just burnout. It was like mental, mental health, um, total destruction and eating disorders, like yeah. everything, everything, my whole life. Like caught up with you completely. But then I found I was actually still feeling the same way as when I wasn't trying. So about progress for yeah. me was it started with a mindset shift, you know, of can I still grow? Can I better myself outside of perfectionism? And it was just like, well, let's try, let's try being mediocre. <laughs> Cause yeah. my, my <laughs> mediocre, um, was like bad, you know? So my yes. especially if you know, you're capable of doing better then how can For you sure. feel okay with just being okay? Like mediocre, mm-hmm. like you said, and I think this will be really helpful for my audience because I do speak to moms of teens and yeah. all of us can probably relate, or maybe we have a teenager that has those perfectionistic tendencies. Yeah. And as a parent, it can feel really good when your teen is high achieving and when things go well for them. And so almost, I don't know if you had this experience where you feel like you praise that and, you know, everyone's happy with you and you're succeeding. But what you're saying is in your experience, it actually was very was really hard for you. Yeah. Um, I feel like uh, I was the ideal teen. For sure. Right, like I right. never pushed back. I, I don't remember ever like fighting with my parents or pushing back or not showing up when I was supposed to. Um, and it wasn't like they directly told me like, you are, you are, you need to be this level of this kind of person. But again, it was just so, um, it was so internalized, like those mm-hmm. outside metrics. And it, like I said, it was all good intention, but it turned out to be very destructive in ways that my parents weren't even cued into because of this shield of perfectionism I had put up in front of me of being unknowable, unreachable, unseeable, because I don't want people to see the weak sides of me too. So yeah, it was, it turned out to be pretty darn damaging. I would say it's taking me. Yeah. (laughs) So if, if someone's listening and they have a teenager that kind of fits that idea of they're perfectionist and they get really stressed out easily, but they're also really successful. What are some things that we can do as moms to get clued in to hopefully maybe see those cues or those signs and then help our teenagers not feel like they have to be perfect, mm-hmm. but also support them in their goals? Like a loaded I would question. Say, oh, it's a wonderful question. Again, why I'm so glad to be here today because I I want to help parents who are facing this with their children and help those children too. I will say perfectionism. Oftentimes, we think it's the stereotypical overachiever, high anxiety, high stress. Um, you know, just that kind of person. Perfectionism can also look like a kid who's checked out, who's depressed, who won't try, um, who seems lazy because they seem to have like no like zest for trying. I mean, that can, can just be depression too, but oftentimes that is perfectionism too. It, it, either way you are, you are placing your value on your outcomes, whether you have the good outcomes that you're always striving to meet, or, you know, you can't possibly meet them. So why even try? So I would open your mind up that way because I went 
to the other side as an adult, um, you know, for myself and my own goals and things I wanted to work for and better. So pay attention to the spectrum there, but the heart of it is what I said. Is it, is it pretty apparent that your child places their value on their outcomes? If that is what's happening, whether they are, you know, trying to achieve them or they are too scared to even try, then that's when there are, I would say two sides of a coin that need to be happening. And one is modeling what it looks like to progress in life in real time, showing your children what it's like to rank room for failure and mistakes and being okay with it and how to work through it. And it's living it out more than preaching it. But mm-hmm. then the other side of it too, is having direct conversations and, and trying to teach them new ways of one, where they find their value, but two, also how to improve themselves outside of the shame and blame all or nothing cycle that they are often taught with the yeah. intention people too. <laughs> right. Right. I agree with you. And I think that's a perfect way to illustrate it is if you are finding your value based on your outcomes or on what you do and not your internal worth as a person. Yeah. And that's why I love coaching parents of teens, because I think if we don't know our worth comes from just being human and existing, and we think our worth comes from our kids and what they do or not do, or anything that we do, whether it's, you know, working out or looking a certain way as a parent, if we have those same feelings, it's impossible to teach our teens that their value doesn't come from their external world. 100%. Yeah. So thank you for that, for sharing that. It's so important to know. So when you were experiencing the burnout, when you've kind of like, you've been this perfectionistic teenager and it worked for you until it didn't, and then you were burned out. What were some of the most problematic beliefs that you had that led to the burnout or that you experienced while you were in that space? That's such a good question for me to ponder because those are, I think if I'm being honest with myself, those are still the thoughts that are in my subconscious that come up even now after all these years and a lot of work on it. And I think, um, you know, if we were to just simplify, I think most people can relate to these kind of thoughts. It's I, I'm not good enough or I never measure up. Or I, I never am successful or success is so hard for me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come for me. It it really is those, those beliefs that just keep you stuck in the place of either like being on the hamster wheel or or in action, like being paralyzed and feeling stuck by it. Right. Very black and white, like always or never. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I've been, I have like a child who definitely is more of this perfectionistic child. And that is the language he uses a lot. Those that all or nothing, extreme language uh, ever, or never, always, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Those are the thoughts. So noticing those words. And if you find yourself thinking those things to just take a step back and then question them, what are some good questions that you can ask yourself to like, get out of that all or nothing thinking? For me, it's yeah. Questioning it. Yeah. Before that, to me, it's just recognizing them. And that took me years to learn because it was such an ingrained way of thinking and viewing myself and showing up to the world. I didn't even realize I had thoughts 
that were leading to my behavior. Now, luckily I had a great cognitive therapist when I was in the middle of my, um, at the beginning and through my recovery process at the very beginning, I should have stuck with therapy a lot longer, honestly. Um, but he taught me that cognitive trial triangle, you know, and yeah. that's lead to feelings lead to actions right. and, you know, coaching. That's really central to, yeah. to the work that you do. Um, but for me that the, the hardest part was even knowing that it, there were thoughts and right. They feel them. true. They don't feel like a thought. It's like, that's true. That's just, yeah. a fact. and it's also like this running tape that is like uh-huh. made of steel somehow yeah. that loves to repeat itself and like show up. So, and then rapidly, you know, so that honestly took me the biggest brain power, but I will tell you this accidental mantra that I created in my recovery that I wish I adopted earlier in my youth. And I still rely on it today. Once I was able to identify the thoughts, I discovered just organically that almost all my thoughts went back to fear, fear of failure, fear of not being enough, fear of disappointing myself, fear of not reaching my potential, fear of not being good enough for God. You know, like even that kind of big stuff, you know, always feeling not enough. Um, But it was all, it all went back to fear for me somehow, some way or another, it was a fear of something. And so um, how, when I was especially working through watching the thoughts, stopping them and then changing them, my, my, my mantra, I said to myself, I don't even know what the word mantra was at the time. Right. It just came to me. And I mean, it was God given a tender mercy, right. It was faith, not fear. And, and that's not rocket science. Like it's, I didn't embed yeah, that. That's it is like, something that we would all probably recognize as 100%. Yeah. Our life. Yes. But that simple of a statement helped me recenter in my ability to choose how I wanted to perceive my own agency, my own possibility, and the way I could choose to move forward, starting with how I was going to reframe what was going on in my mind and in, in my circumstance. Um, so that I think hopefully they can, they can take that and they can plug it in and then they can yeah. switch it, the, you know, play with the thoughts a little better. The other part of this, I would say, I want to add into it is oftentimes one of the reasons why I think we find it really hard to, uh, switch our thoughts is because we know somewhere deep down that those, that we don't want to lie to ourselves. So like, especially my recovery days, or even now, like if I have if experience a failure, I can't say it's all good. You didn't do anything wrong. And it's, you know, nothing's wrong. I couldn't say that mm-hmm. that was not true. So yeah. what I also learned both for myself and I, and I do this with the woman I work with too, um, is you want what you replace the new thought to be in and it still needs to be grounded in truth. Yeah. But right. enough that you still feel like you have a choice from there. So I can say I messed up and I know what to do now from here. I know how to get back to where I want to be or just like the compassionate lens. Like, yes, I, I feel really disappointed in myself or this thing happened and it's really hurtful and painful, but it's like kind of an, and thing I can put to it yeah. to, to make it seem like I, right. not the black and white anymore it adds the nuance. Yes. I love that. And you're still honoring your values of wanting to, you know, be the person that, you know, you are capable of being, but also not feeling like you don't have a choice. So I love that language too, of you do have a choice. And that's what I love sharing with parents too, because it's hard to give our kids a choice 
and to have their agency to make decisions that are what we would label the wrong choice and it might have negative consequences, mm-hmm. but often that's how you learn through those, through those challenges. And when you see it as a choice, you get to choose. And when you were going through that perfectionistic time, you probably didn't have a choice. You had to do certain things a certain way. Yes. And so I just love that idea of feeling like if you want to do your best, you can choose to and choose to really try hard at something, but also you don't have to. Yes. Uh, you always have a choice. And also as part of that, realizing that failure does is never permanent. Um, yeah. There's this, I kind of, I think it's mis- um, attributed, like, or they, they altered the wording on it. And I only learned that recently after years of this being like one of my favorite quotes, <laughs> but Winston Churchill, at least they thought he said for a while, but I still think we're, we can own it. Right. Yeah. He says success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage like to that. continue yeah. that counts. And, and yeah. that's it. Like if we can own that, it's nothing's final. Success isn't even final. Like anytime I achieve something yeah. like my 4.0 grades and like getting the lead in a play. And I'm thinking back to my teenage Right. And being first chair flute, like all at the same time, I'm not any of those things now. <laughs> and I wasn't even like a year later, you know, success isn't even final. So failure is the same. They're both fleeting. You have the, yeah. the transformation lies in the process. It's who we are becoming along the way that matters, not what the outcomes even are. I love that so much. So let's shift then from, we want to help our teens and now we kind of have a good framework of, of thinking about how our teens are behaving and maybe thinking and how we can help them. So if someone's listening who their kids are all in school now and they have more time on their hands and they do want to practice this, you know, having compassion and, but they have more time to set goals. And I know this is what you talk to a lot of women about, where do they even start? Ooh, that's kind of like a chicken and the egg question for me, because often women want to work on the practical side of their lives, which I want to honor because our circumstances do influence how we are able to show up, you know, um, and wanting to improve, like having more stable routines and habits and like systems in place to help them feel like they can show up in the ways they want to, and even have time to devote on themselves and their goals. But at the same time, I've also learned like hand in hand, or oftentimes one or the other has to come first is knowing what really makes you feel like yourself. It's, it's, that's fulfillment to me. It's feeling full of yourself. Uh, just getting a good sense of what that even looks like for yourself is I find a lot of women are really struggling with that, especially at this phase of their kids are finally all going mm-hmm. to school. Um, it's just like, where do I start? That's the question they have where do I even start? Because they don't know anymore. Because of course, like you've been, you've been on that hamster wheel of trying to show up for those responsibilities. Um, so I actually have something called the do something list that that's actually where my work began. I didn't start with a podcast. I started with me trying to find out who I was outside of my roles and responsibilities. What made me feel like myself again? Cause I didn't even know anymore. I had no idea. I had lost that all along the way. So the do something list, I'll keep this short. It's a, it's a non-goal list, no goals. Okay. No resolutions. It's a non-goal list that helps you explore who you are. And as part of that, there's two parts of it. There's uncovering where you bring back things that used to make you feel like yourself. Even as a small child, you can go back to those early years. Um, and you discover other things that you would like to explore that you think you could be interested in. 
And it's not about completion. It's about exploration. It's kind of a weird, different bucket list. It's not like I will hike Mount Kilimanjaro bucket list. It's like, (laughs) I'm going to try water coloring class this year, or I'm going to go to three different new workout classes. I'm going to invite a friend to lunch once a month, like those kind of things. And they're so different for each person. Um, but if they want to know more about how to do that, I do have like the first episode of the years, 2021 and 2022 of my podcast are really helpful for that. Okay. Good to know. I love that. And that even is getting my mind thinking about telling that to my kids so that, you know, they can have the choice of like, Hey, just do something. If you have a few minutes, like, what do you want to learn about? And just do something Mm -hmm. that is really helpful. It takes the pressure away of like, I have these goals I want to accomplish, but sometimes they stress me out. But what if I wanted to just do something for the sake of doing something because I enjoyed it? How often do we let ourselves do that? Well, and also, also if we don't know, like if we don't feel full of who we really are, we kind of lost that compass for our goals. Mm-hmm. So that's why I actually say start there because oftentimes it's the missing piece of the puzzle. Like you actually go after other goals. Like you decide to go back to school or you decide that you're going to write that novel or whatever it is that, or run that marathon and you don't find fulfillment in it because it's not actually what will help you feel like yourself anymore. That's altered or it's built on a should or yeah. someone else's idea. So having that compass inside of like, I know this, these are the things that help me feel like myself and help me find fulfillment can help direct everything from there, from your goals, to your habits, to the systems you're going to have in your family, to even the way you're going to speak to your kids, you know? Yes. I love that. And that goes perfectly into what I was going to say as my next question is getting out of the should mindset. So when you're creating this, do something list, it's not goals, like you said, because then sometimes we get into that should mindset of I should work out, or I should read my scriptures more. If you're um, a woman of faith and you feel like you have these shits that you should do before you can Mm -hmm. focus on anything you would want to do like a watercolor class. Yes. Right. And so it's getting rid of the shoulds, but how do you do that? And not feel like you're not doing the things. Well, here you go. Like the things that you should do. I will say to give you hope, there is a trickle down effect to fulfillment. You have more energy to give Mm. more to your responsibilities, like your children and the things around the house or work management, you know, also to yourself. Like sometimes I'm not even sometimes I feel it every time, both with myself and the women in my community, they experience that trickle down effect where naturally they have more to give and they can do things alongside of it. So it's not like an either or thing, but oftentimes that does need to come at least first so that you have that compass we talked about. Yeah. And then you want to do those things. Yes. And that's the, the, the agency part to it. Yeah. And then you're choosing, it goes back all full circle. I love it. One of the things that I um, talk about um, is that shoulds can be chosen. So there are some shoulds that we want to honor in our lives because they deeply resonate with who we are. They are aligned with our values and who we want to be. And when that's the case, shoulds can be chosen but they're chosen with more freedom still and agency because we still get to decide how they're chosen. So for example, I should do scripture study with my kids every day. When you're in that mindset, you, you are also following a prescription of what that looks like. There's like largely a built-in prescription. I'm sure that you think like we have to get up earlier and we have to read this certain amount of time or this certain amount of verses. 
But when you say, you know, instead, like, I, why do, why does this matter to me? It connects back to these values. It connects to these ways I want to teach my children and show up and, and all, you know, you have the deeper why. Like, I choose to scripture study with my children. And this is how it's realistic to my time and season. So then you'd mm-hmm. say, oh, I actually can read just a small devotional that takes two minutes and that's fine over breakfast. Or we, we just, have a scripture discussion at dinner at night as a family, or like you're, you, you are opened up to more choices that make that should actually feel chosen. Yeah. I love that. That is something you can think about for a little while too. And kind of chew on because there's a lot of freedom in there and choosing those things will only fulfill your life, create that fulfillment, like you're saying. So that is really, really good advice. So as a mom of four teens now, I also feel like sometimes I micromanage my kids. Mm-hmm. So like, I want them to do certain things a certain way because it's like my idea of what they should be doing. So I'm shooting on my kids. Yes. So I'm trying to think about, okay, I'm good at not shooting on myself. I know what I should do or what I shouldn't do. And I have good reasons for that. But then with my kids, I don't know if I'm as clear I think this is always a fine line, right? To me, this is just like anything else, any other skill um, or value you want to instill in your children is it happens gradually. You know, it's, it's about teaching and handholding for a while. And then it's about gradually helping them and releasing yourself from how they do it exactly their themselves. Um, but I think I think like if you were to coach yourself on this, I'm sure you absolutely could, you know, and just think about like, what is different about my children? What are the fears at play when it comes to the ways that I can tell I'm shooting on my kids? What are the deep Mm -hmm. fears I have? Like, well, I'm afraid they're not going to turn out because they don't know how to clean. Like, or they're going to be that messy roommate or they won't know how to feed themselves once they go to college. Or I'm afraid they're going to like be in jail. Right. Like extremes like that, you know. So like I don't know. If I were to to like insert myself and say, you got this, because I know you're an incredible coach, but we all have to coach ourselves and we all need coaches too. I all think. the time. Yeah. Yes. Just think about okay, what are the deeper reasons to that? And and just even no a lot of times, not all the times. Um sorry, let me say that again. When we know better, we do better. But yeah. for me, that means we can do things differently. And so that, I think even just that like knowledge can help you show up a little differently and be able to have the intuition to follow and know here's when I need to back up off and just let them do it their way. Or here's when I need to insert myself and teach them directly or hold them to the standard. It's pretty intuitive, or I guess maybe subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Different for everyone. But I do think the feeling that comes from that when you are in a good place will be more out of love and desire to be that good parent, right? Like sometimes you don't want to take that device away. I mean, this is kind of off topic because you're just tired, Yeah. but then sometimes, you know, and you know, and your, your higher brain knows like the, a good mom would, you know, is consistent and is doing those things. But when it's fear-based, like, because you're thinking they're going to go into, they're going to get into jail or something fear-based in the future, never usually the time. That's when you kind of know, okay, this is coming from a fearful place. That's when we're reacting instead of responding, which I'm well familiar with. Yeah. (laughs) 
I have loved this conversation so much. I've learned a lot. I'm excited to release this episode. So, but tell us where we can go to find you, to find more about your work and what you do. Yeah. Since you're listening to a podcast, just search for me right now on your app, look for about progress and listen along and um, hopefully you can give us a follow and subscribe there. And I will say if you, if you are feeling pretty frustrated with your habit performance and you have been, whether it's just a short amount of time or forever, like you just feel like you always have habit fails and you're convinced you're somehow broken. And that habits are just for like some superior robot level of woman that you don't relate with. Um, I'm doing a free class that I think will really help you. And it's called the number one reason why women must do habits differently. I talked about how, when we know better, we can do better, but really that means do things differently. And yeah, which can be uncomfortable, really uncomfortable, but also really empowering because a lot of women blame themselves or their habit fails when really what they need to be blaming is how they've been taught to do habits. And I'm going to teach you the number one reason why women have been taught habits wrong. And this is science-backed research, like decades behind this. So they can sign up at aboutprogress.com slash habit class, and it's totally free and it's September 14th. And if they're listening past that date, still check that link out. I hope to have a recording eventually, but it might not be right away. So if you can, live is absolutely best. Okay. I love it. I'm excited. I'm definitely going to join that because I'm super curious about how we do habits wrong, because I do feel like it is difficult to create new habits, especially where we're at in life, where we're kind of set and fixed. Exactly. Mindset. So it does. Yeah. But I'm it's not your fault. I'll say that. That's the, that's the, the quick little teaser. It's not your fault. Yeah. So take a breath, have compassion for yourself. Okay. Last question, because this is something that I, I talk to my husband sometimes about, and it's just one of those questions that gets you thinking. Some people I feel like can, can grasp it, but it's kind of difficult. So to be good enough, that's what we're talking about. You have to be okay with yourself exactly the way that you are, mm-hmm. right? And so for someone who's not used to that idea and they feel like, but then if you are good enough, just as you are, and you feel that you're good enough, just as you are, why would you try something? Why would you do anything to be better? If, our, if we're supposed to be better, we're supposed to grow in this life. Why? It's, does that make sense? Does it that totally question make sense? sense. Yeah. And I think it goes back to the way we've been taught that the the way you grow is by being hard on yourself, by being diligent, by being regimented, by being disciplined, having strong willpower. And the things that we miss there, and this is also science back, is that we cannot rely on that energy. Willpower takes energy, discipline, motivation, all those things require energy. And as women, we are constantly drained, especially. So go back to that framework though, of just one challenging that the only way to grow is by being hard on myself. The opposite is true. Compassion is what actually creates lasting progress. I have experienced massive failure the last seven years since I started about progress and my work that I do in the community, but the compassion that I've switched to, you know, instead of the shame and blame cycle that I was in as a teen and then through my twenties too, as a young mom, I have grown exponentially the last seven years because of the compassion piece. So I would add one more thing to that. If you aren't sure, if you believe in the compassion piece, I would encourage you to start with courage 
to have the courage to try it out and to see how it goes. It takes courage to do yeah, things differently. You're exactly right. Yeah. So start with courage. And that means you do it scared, right? <laughs> you do mm-hmm. it scared. And with time, you will develop the belief that this is actually how you grow. It's compassion. It's small wins building over time. It's it's not 100% perfect, rigid consistency that is built on a superhuman willpower. I'm allowed to have room for mistakes and I'm allowed to not be perfect all the time and still grow. You, The proof will be in the pudding. Yeah. It takes courage. I love that so much. And the thoughts going in my mind as you're saying that is even in parenting, because I love the parenting space is that same idea of mistakes are okay. Yeah. It's okay. Have compassion for yourself wherever you're at. And that's how connections made. So whether you're connecting with yourself through getting, getting to know yourself more or connecting to your kids, that same idea of compassion and courage, but not being afraid to do it wrong. Yeah. Georgia Anderson, I I learned from her years ago that the research shows like with the Gottman Institute and all these other incredible places that she's done a lot of work with, um, that we just have to get it right 50% of the time. (laughs) And then the other 50% of the time, and that's like, literally, that's what the science is showing in the research for parenting, but coupled with that. And I know you probably know this too, is that reparation matters even more than anything. So absolutely. And then that 50% is okay when you do it wrong and, mm-hmm. and you realize people love you anyways, yes. <laughs> and, right? Like even when you fail, you're still growing and look at all you've accomplished through the fails. Mm-hmm. So good. It's so good to talk to you today. I'm so grateful that you were able to come on my podcast and share your journey with us. I'm grateful you'd have me because this is, like I said, this community right here, like you are doing such important work. And so are all the moms who are listening. And I'm this, this community matters a lot to me too. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Monica. Loved that interview with Monica. Loved the tips that she shared with us. They are real life applicable tools that we can start practicing today. And it really will help us get out of that all or nothing thinking because that's what it's all about. We're not supposed to be perfect right now. We're not going to do it perfectly. Even in parenting, no matter how many books you read, there's always more to learn and things change so fast. Speaking of teens and parenting, have you downloaded my guide for how to avoid a power struggle? I share three simple ways that you can start being more responsive and not reactive with your teens. So no matter the situation, no matter how triggered you get, remember it's a practice, an ongoing practice. These three strategies that I share in my guide will help you take a pause so that instead of reacting in a really angry or shame-based way, you will be able to practice that self-care and decide, okay, where do we go from here? What do we need to do from here? And become more intentional. I will put a link to both Monica's free class and my free download for how to avoid a power struggle in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here and listening.